Continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 109, Continuous Improvement and Your Core Values with Andrea Johnson. Do you know what your core values are? Have they changed throughout your life as you grow, gained experience, and broaden your perspectives? Some people are very clear about their core values, while others are not so sure or wonder if their values need re-examining periodically. Andrea Johnson's work centers on supporting people, especially women, as they define and align with their core values. She joined me at the Edges of Lean to share her insights. Andrea Johnson, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Hi, Bella. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you here today. And I think the topic that we're gonna talk about is really, really important for people who are practicing lean and particularly women who are practicing lean, which is just one of my favorite audiences. Uh, this podcast started out of the Women in Lean group on Facebook. So um, I just, I know that we've got a lot of uh, women who listen and for you guys who are listening, this works for you too. So pay attention. This is going to be fun for you. So, Andrea, please uh, introduce yourself to everybody and tell us about how you, what your path was to doing what you do today. Well, thank you so much. Again, it's an honor. And I love working with people who make things better. So this is a, a really good fit for me to be here today with people who are working in the lean space. My passion is helping women figure out how to be themselves better. So kind of a lean process for women and developing leaders who can think critically, create imaginatively and lead effectively. My journey was a long one and, you know, but all journeys, we hope our journeys are long, don't we? And I started out my, my, I grew up overseas. My parents were missionaries. So I have an international background, which gives me a little different perspective than a lot of people in the United States on things. And I followed all the rules. I did everything they said I was supposed to do. I was the good girl. I made sure that I got the college degree in a practical application type. They got a business degree. I went to work, you know, just like it's kind of normal in the United States, you start as women used to start as a teacher or as an administrative assistant or at the time, even a secretary. And so that's how I started. Realized very early on that that was not going to be a very good path for me. So I was always looking for ways to level up. And I had watched my mother consistently make herself smaller the entire time I was growing up. She was smart and funny and able to do so many different things. Like I said, we were in Korea and she went and volunteered for the American Red Cross and ended up being in charge of all of the volunteers for Asia and the Pacific. Wow. She, yeah, if, if she had been able to be paid, she would have been a colonel in level. She was a GS 13 with no pay. And, um, she won awards, International Red Cross Awards. When I left for high school or when I left high school for college, I came back to the States for college the mission compound we were on, they tore down the six big houses they had built back in the 60s and built townhomes. And my mother was the project manager for all of that. So anybody who can do those kinds of things that tells you she was a powerhouse, yet she was raised in, you know, she was born in like 44 and raised in this Southern evangelical space of 
women are not the leaders. And so she was really good at being the quote unquote woman behind the strong man. And not that my dad isn't a strong man. It's just, she was really good at that. When they came home to the States in 86 or 87, she went back to just being an administrative assistant. And I watched her retire. She found ways that she could put herself in spaces where she felt like she was really making an impact, but she was always frustrated. And we lost her in 2017 after 15 years of breast cancer battle, which I'm so also, sorry. Thank you. But that also taught me a lot about resilience. And it also taught me a lot about her strength and how she used her strength. And I decided this was, I turned 50 in August and she died what, six, seven months later or a few months later in February. I don't do math. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I realized at that moment, I didn't want to die thinking I had not fulfilled what potential I might have. And if you're a leader of any sort, you've either been through that journey of, I don't want to die or retire and be disappointed in myself, or you're someone who's been encouraged along the way or has fought tooth and nail to get there. Well, I was the one who said, wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> and I had worked my way through, I, I, my entire career was almost 25 years of working for someone else. I'm now self-employed, but my entire career was in higher education. Started, I met my husband in grad school. Uh, I have two thirds of a bat, uh, master's of divinity. And then I went on to work in schools of medicine and um, like off main offices for sponsored research in both Johns Hopkins and the University of Virginia. So I have a great career in higher education and learned a lot about how to do things um, effectively. But what I wanted to do was I didn't want to manage people anymore because in those systems, all you can do is go up through management. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not, I'm not a numbers person. <laughs> so you were going to say something? I, I was, I was, well, I've, you know, I, I think that's such an important distinction, Andrew, between between managing and leading, right? Yes. And and for you to look at that and say you've been doing this, you've been managing, you you had you had you know I think it sounds like you had a really good career, but it wasn't enough. Your your um, desire to lead to take people somewhere um, hadn't been fulfilled. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. what was what what was that point where you had you always had this idea that that management is different from leadership or was it an aha for you? No, there was a definite aha. At one moment I was managing, I was supervising, let me put it that way. I was managing supervising, supervising yeah. Uh, maybe 23 people including grant administrators, administrative assistants, financial people like fiscal techs and clinical research personnel and lab techs. So this was all in school of medicine and when we sat down to do um, yearly reviews, I would say, what will your goals be for next year? And I had some people who would hand me their job description and say, these are my goals. I'm like, mm. you're not your goals. And I would say, you know, we, of course, we went with the smart thing, which I don't do anymore because that there are places where that fits really well. And at the time it was, but don't you want to grow? Don't you want to be something else? Don't you? And so this was like this dawning. Uh, my husband grew up outside of Boston. So, you know, dawning over Marblehead um, is, <laughs> is what he would say. And I, I said, don't you want to do learn something? I mean, isn't there a growth goal you might have? And I had several of them say, I just don't want to get fired. And I was like, man, this is terrible. What kind of culture are we in? That was one piece. The other piece was realizing that there was only so far I could go. And when I would hire people, I knew that I could help people come into administrative, like 
administrative type jobs and I could help them get someplace else. And so I would literally, they would come in my door, they would interview for a position. I would say, I need you to know this would not be a landing pad position for you. This would be a launching pad position. I don't want you to come in here thinking you're going to stay for 10 years, even though that's what the faculty want you to do. I want you to know that I'm going to expect you to be out of here in three. And I had one woman who I didn't hire because she was way overqualified, who used me as a reference for other jobs. And I said, why are you using me as a reference? She said, I consider you a mentor. She said, you sat me down, knew you weren't going to hire me, wanted to find out where you could help put me. So those kinds of experiences helped me to understand, I want to help people grow. I'm not interested in keeping the status quo at all. And that's what managing is, keeping things the same. And, and... It sounds also as to me, I mean, this is so beautifully aligned with the core philosophy of lean, but, but what you, what you're really looking for was to not necessarily make clinical trials, right. Or, or, or help uh, investigators get results. What you're looking for was to build people, was to, yes. was to grow, was to grow people. And um, that is a, just a wonderful realization because when you have that realization, right, then it's a it's inspiring it's inspiring for you but then what did you realize about yourself about what you needed to learn to do that well you know we all think we know how to help people (laughs) (laughs) until we start and then we realize we're only looking at from our own perspective and so part of that process was it was about a five-year process while I was still employed and so I started taking different types of things I did I even shared with you when we talked before that I took a little small lean certification uh like lean awareness and I did some project management stuff trying to figure out how I could best help and I had someone say to me you know you do all of this personal growth stuff Andrea you read all these books and you take these courses but have you ever considered being a coach or a speaker (laughs) well I've never shied away from a stage so I'm like well not really but tell me about it and that was the first time someone introduced me to the idea that I could work with people in a way that would I could specifically work with people who wanted to grow and that became very appealing to me. It's not that there's, I don't want to say people who don't want to grow are bad, but they're not my people. They're the kind of people who Mm. keep the machines running. You have to have them. You have to have, you know, the faculty in higher education want an assistant that's going to stay there for 20 or 30 years. They have historical knowledge that you can't get every time you you know, turn somebody over every three or four years. And so there's value to that. Those aren't the people I need to work with. I need to work with the people who are interested in doing something bigger and more and just making themselves better and realizing that and getting into that area. That's when I was introduced to John Maxwell and the Maxwell team and becoming a DISC consultant, which is behavioral analysis and understanding my own core values and all of those things. It's like, this was when the doors kind of opened up and the, the heavens opened and went, oh, you know, and I said, that's what I want to do. That's and, what you, you know, wanted. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and it's such a, it's, it's such a big step, right. From where it sounds like you started from, from coming from a culture that was about women being competent and helpful, but also being small, because in order to do those things, you have to be big in a not necessarily a physical way but in a in a my presence is my presence is taking up space um kind of way yes and I'll tell you one of the things I learned I'm in the fourth year of my podcast and the first three years were were dedicated to 
teaching on my philosophy of intentional optimism, which is something that was developed right after my mother passed away, kind of the whole introspective time that I had during my grief and interviewing women that were leaders in their spaces that didn't rise through the ranks the way you would think they would, or they're doing something now in a second career. And one of the things I noticed is almost every time I asked them the same question, I said, tell me your earliest leadership memory. And probably 80% of them would tell me something from their childhood that really surprised them. Um, I, you know, I really never thought of myself as a leader, but the way you describe it, I think it was this moment, you know, that I remember way back when I was eight or 10 or 12 and some would go back to high school or something when it was a little more traditional leadership looking. But what was so interesting is that of those, the majority of them were finally doing now something with the skill set that they described to me from when they were young. And when you can see how who you are at your core is who you end up being if you're willing to follow that path, even if it goes around the tree several times and in and out of the road, um, if you're willing to do that, then you can live kind of much more efficiently inside yourself and who you are as who you are. And you talked about having a big personality. Well, I'm only five, one and a half on a really, really good day. So I'm petite, but nobody has ever accused me of having a small personality. And I, Bella was just like my mother, consistently trying to put myself, make myself small and make myself quiet and learn how to speak in a way that was very, very calming for people. Because most of the men that I dealt with could not handle Andrea at full strength. And so mm. now I can say, it, and there is a challenge in that, you know, because we're conditioned with all of those things that we've talked, or I talk about my ABCs, my assumptions, beliefs, and conditioning. And I was conditioned to think that women weren't supposed to show the big sides of our personalities. And so I ha have done a lot of work and I'm still doing it today reminding myself that the personality and the leadership skills that I've been given are the ones I'm supposed to use. And it's okay to take up big space and to do the big thing. So yes, it takes that. Wow. Thank you. Andrea, you, you mentioned finding your core values as you started working um, with the Maxwell team. And I'd love for you to tell us about that journey and what, what core values really mean to mean to you. Okay. I actually started my very first foray into talking about my values was over 30 years ago when I started the Franklin Covey planner system. Oh because, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and I actually, I don't have it with me because it's in my purse because I took it to a workshop on Friday, but I have a small, the little bitty Franklin Covey, you know, with the six, uh, holes in it. I had laminated it, but it was my governing values at the time. And the number one governing value that I had at the time was freedom. And at the time it said, I don't work for anybody. You know, this was 30 years ago, which that was, you know, 25 years before my <laughs> career. And you were actually working for somebody at the time when you Exactly. That. And yes. I continued, but I did try some entrepreneurial things. I realized I was not a network marketer. I was not a service. I mean, I'm a service provider. I'm a teacher rather than, um, than a product person because I did try a couple of things. But when I had those with me, you know, for 30 years thinking these are my governing values and I never really knew how to put them into play, but freedom was always the one that just mm, would just get me. And it's not just about not working for someone. It has everything to do with 
who I get to be and my thoughts and the way I express myself. So when I went through my curriculum to become a coach and a speaker with John Maxwell, one of the pieces was let's, you know, you do need to look at your core values. And I'm like, I have my core values. And I went back and found them. And then I started looking at them again and started diving deeper. And the way I work with people and the exercise I put give people to work through is common. It's out there. Brene Brown does it. Several other people do it. But in looking at mine and going deeper and just really drilling down on them, um, you know, in lean, you look at how you get to the the lowest common denominator sometimes to make sure you have the, the smoothest process. Well, that's what I do with my core values. And I go all the way down and discovered that my top three core values are things that have shown up in my life since I was able to speak. And they are freedom, which is the freedom of thought or freedom of being myself. Um, my mother tells me that I was always the kid who said, don't tell me what to do, or I can do it myself. <laughs> yeah. And of course we call those strong-willed children, right? But it's because a core value right. of freedom was in there. My number two is authenticity, which I was consistently messing with and burying and allowing to be stomped on through my entire career, because I couldn't be authentically myself as the big personality and the leader that I knew I was. And my third one I thought was community, but it turns out it's deeper, it's belonging. And so for me, I like to create belonging spaces for others because I know how hard it is for women who get in these bigger spaces and know that they can lead and know that they want to, but they just are afraid to let themselves out of that box or that shell. Um, but I also want to belong myself. So for me to find places of belonging and to provide those for others is very important for me. Those things guide me. They help me remember who I am. They remind me that I don't have to be someone else. And they also help me say yes and no to projects. And they help me with my relationships with my family. It's okay to say no to certain things because I know what my values are. And they're not the things I value. I value family. I value. I still value external freedom as well. But I value authenticity, but I also, that is one of my core values. So there's things, there's a difference between the external things and the internal. And what we're talking about here today is the internal core values. It's, it's, it sounds to me as if it's those values that, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the, the genetic, but, but things that are wired into you from mm -hmm. your birth, the way that you were created. Yes. Um, and as opposed to to things or ideas that you may have um, gained over time as you're exposed to different people, different cultures, different ways of believing. Um, so, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's really interesting because I because I do think, um, and I say, but and I'm just talking about me when I when I think about what my core values are or what they might be. There is a little bit of a mix up between what I have been told. And mm -hmm. what is truly a core value, right? And, and sometimes there's a rub there, right? And the rub hurts that when... Yeah, and, and I think that what I described there is tension. Some people will say, well, how do I, what's the first step in figuring out what my core values are? I'm like, well, whatever ticks you off, baby, that's the thing, right? It's like, if, if something... I actually did some on-air coaching with a, it was live on the radio in Seattle with a guy. And I said, so tell me in the last weeks, did something really just really bother you? You can't let it go. And it, we talked it through, but if there's something that just really upsets you, or if there's what you call the rub or tension, and um, it's just consistently there, it's like this low grade thing that's always great on you. 
that's where you need to pay attention because it's probably a positive. It's like an opposite of that, that might Mm -hmm. be a core value. So sometimes if clients are having a hard time figuring that out, I'm like, well, let's just talk about what upsets you. And then we're going to go from there. And, um, you know, we do that with our kids. If we've raised children, I have an ADHD son. And so our son who has ADHD. And so we had to learn how to do positive opposites for him. So that kind of trained me in figuring out how to do positive opposites with clients to figure them out. But the other piece I wanted to share is that, like I said, I'm a DISC consultant. And when I started really working through core values with people, I was surprised at how they would line up with their DISC types. And yeah, well, because DISC also looks at how you're wired, but it's all about how you communicate. And so when you look at how you communicate, your wiring there and the wiring of who you are, it's your guiding principles. I like to say that it's like your, your guiding principles that help you show up in no matter what the circumstances as you, right. If you know what those guiding principles are. And I had in this workshop last Friday, I had somebody give some feedback, you know, it would be nice to have some examples of personality types and what their core values might be. And I thought, oh, I never thought about putting that in there, uh-huh. but when I have someone on the disc scale, it's very people oriented, then their core values tend to be very relational. And when I have somebody on the disc scale, who's very task oriented, their core values tend to be very results oriented. And so there's a relationship between all of that because we are congruent human beings, right? We're not, right, box, right. you know, we're not, we're all like 360, you know, it, it, it all works together. So I love that you pulled out the fact that it's your wiring. That's exactly what it is. So, so Andrea, you um, have created a landing page on your website for the listeners of this podcast. Can you tell us about that? I I can. Um, I have a free exercise. I think it's two pages and it gives Mm -hmm. you all the steps to work through how to uncover your core values. And it is, I give this to all of my clients. It is the very first step that they take. And if they need more help, I can provide that through a digital course or through some coaching, but it is literally my website, theintentionaloptimist.com forward slash lean. So anybody from your listener group can just put that in their search bar and come up with it. Um, You do have to give me your email address, but I promise I won't spam you for anything, but it will give you the opportunity to start that process if you've never done that before. Wow. That's a great, that's a great gift. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. When you started coaching, and this is and this is something I've um you know I've talked about with other guests. When you when you started coaching, there's this there's this point of coaching which is which is I mean coaching is always focused on the client, right? It's mm-hmm. it's about what the client wants and what the client um what the client needs, what their goals are, where, where they want they want to go. One of the challenges I think with coaching then is if is how to manage um a a big personality your own big personality when you are caring for another person as a coach when you're coaching i'd love for you to talk about that because i think that is also something that happens um to people who are practicing lean and and in a workplace or wherever you're practicing lean um there's so much coaching in lean and you know we go in there with our with our whole selves we want to be there with our whole authentic selves um, but we also need to be able to be in that coach space. And I'd love to hear how you handle that. Thank you. That's a an interesting question. And I love how you've tied it into lean because my brain just started going, there's, oh, there's so many good things. Uh-huh. There's 
two things I want to start with. There's de different definitions of coaching and there are different types of coaching. And if you're doing a purely uh, holding the space style, almost almost counseling style coaching where you're just listening and asking questions, that is very different than um, say a, a coaching that is helping a client work through a specific problem with a specific framework, which I think lean can sometimes be. And, and mm -hmm. the way I do leadership coaching can sometimes be, I call that like a hybrid style coaching. It's like somewhere between teaching and coaching. And, it, you know, the athlete coach is going to be a little more instructional, which I think right. that's the kind mm -hmm. of coach I tend to be a little bit, um, I can do both. And I think there's a space for both of them, but what I tend to do, did I hear you correctly that that's a little bit more the style, more of a half instructional that people in lean do? Well, you know, it's it's actually, it's a really interesting question. Thanks for asking that question back to me. So when we have coaching in lean, I think there are two things that we're doing. One is that we are, um, we're asking questions to help people see who have seen problems or who need to see a problem to see the problem, you know, to understand that there is something that is out of order and and, and could be done better or, or needs to be improved. And we're also coaching people through a problem solving approach. You know, you know, what how did you, you know, what what do you think of the root causes of this? Where, where might you um find it, you know, what kind of solution would you like to try next? So so you know, questions that open up their ability to um, to solve the problem without telling them how to solve the problem. One of the, you know, one of the big problems that people have when they start to lead as a lean leader is if they know how to do something, it's going to the workplace and telling people who are actually doing the work how to solve the problem because mm -hmm. nobody's learning anything, right? Right. At that point. Yes. Um, and nobody's thinking. They're, they're, right. they're thinking stopped already. So, so there is that, but there is also that sort of developmental side of coaching that goes with with being a lean leader um, a lean coach which is much more as you said the holding the space mm -hmm. um and that is probably you know that's probably done in a somewhat different environment than than coaching um you know sort of quote unquote on the shop floor in the office right. when you when you're trying to work through improving a process or improving uh, the way a group works together something like that does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think that it's, it's a good correlation. It's an easy crosswalk for me. And I will tell you the number one quality that I work on and that I cultivate is curiosity because, and I think that you probably with the smile on your face, I yes. can tell you probably yeah. do yeah. the same thing because there's a, there's two types of curiosity I need to have. Number one, I need to have curiosity as to why they're doing what they're doing or why they're thinking the way they're thinking. But my job is not to necessarily say, you're thinking this. My job is to help them say it out loud. And once they say it out loud, based on my curious questions, they have the ability to say, oh, hang on, <laughs> I need to look at that. And so I think that's one way that I can do it. But the other one is just to to get curious about the um, the motivation of somebody in what they're doing. And especially in, and like I said too, about getting down to their assumptions and their beliefs and their conditioning to help them look deeper and deeper and deeper for that. But I think the, the best thing is to be curious and not in a way to where I can answer your question. It's how can I better ask a question that's going to help you find the answer? And that's hard. That's brain work. Right. <laughs> yeah. For somebody. Yeah. yeah. And especially if we know the answer many times or we think we know the answer, 
it's, which we it's, don't always know the answer right now that's the, that's the important thing we don't because no. we're not living in in the even if we're in their space we're physically in their space we're still not living in their world not not standing in their shoes well and we don't know all of the parameters i have a coach friend that i work with and collaborate with all the time and we were at a conference last week and she or two weeks ago and she was asking me questions about something and just because we're just friends we've known each other since we were 15 she was just handing me answers and finally i said you have to stop you don't know all of the variables in this particular situation. And I think that's kind of what we have to remind ourselves is that we don't know all the variables. We just need to continue to ask the questions. Um, and I'll even ask permission. Do you do you want me to give you advice here? And I will have some coaching clients say, yeah, I really need it. And then they'll say, oh, okay, that was helpful. But I think I'm going to use it this way. And then they take off because they've been given the permission to use whatever I give them in a way that helps them get where they need to be. Wow, that's 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 really helpful and i think one of the things that is challenging just you know for you lean folks who are listening we talk about coaching all the time and it's very important to remember what what andrea said that there are different types of coaching um and the type of coaching that you might do as we say at the gambit is not the same as the coaching that you would do when you're sitting down with someone who reports to you and it is not the same as the coaching that you might do with with another client who is actually working on their own goals and and I love what you're saying that the curiosity is going to be so important in there because you you need to hear what they're saying. You need to help them hear what they're saying and help them help them see. And again, uh, you know, just telling people what to do is we know from a lean perspective, um, it's not helpful because uh, that's when the thinking stops, and we need people to be uh, to be thinkers and and as mm. you'd say, to be critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about that, about how do you define critical thinking and and how do you coach in that area? I, I literally just, my podcast that's out this week is what is yeah, critical I, thinking? It's the one skill that I think you need. And I found a really good definition on the University of Louisville's uh, website. It was all about how they were teaching their students to think more critically. And it's a long one, so I'm not going to quote it, but the gist of it is taking in information, analyzing it and evaluating it and categorizing it and processing it in some way to help you figure out what you're going to believe or how you're going to act in some area. And I just loved that definition because we are taught so often that we're supposed to think for ourselves. And especially in the United States, we're free thinkers. No, sweetie, we're not. <laughs> I was presented with reputable sources, institutions, books, um, particular people that I trusted, and these people had the answers. And please think through this for yourself and arrive at one of these answers. And that's what we are told so often. And what I need, especially women to hear, is that you get to think for yourself. You get to, and you may still arrive at those same answers, but if you don't work through and analyze those processes, and one of the things we do with core values is we run our thought processes through our core values. How does this affect me? How do I think about this? Why do I look at this differently than my husband looks at this? What is, what's going on there and how will that help me form my beliefs and how will that help me take action? To me, that's what critical thinking is all about. And that's so important because I think we go through the days sometimes on autopilot, 
and and um i had i work in a in a methodology where we really try to to get people to understand the difference between their personal position um yeah this is one you know this is my personal position on this on this particular situation and the influences that they've received through their life as 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 a friend of mine says they know the tapes that are playing in their mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. that that help them arrive at that personal position and i think so many of us and you know I, I, yeah put my hand up and say me too <laughs> go through a lot of things that we do on a kind of autopilot where those tapes are running and i have a personal position about this i strongly believe this but we haven't actually delved into mm-hmm. um, why do I believe that? You know, mm-hmm. why, why, why do you, um, you know, like this particular thing? Why do you vote in a particular way? You know, why, why do you do what you do? Um, and uh, but it's hard work, right? You know, we we talked about you know the hard work of, of kind of being curious. The hard work of critical thinking is mm-hmm. is that's hard work too. But it's very it's very beneficial because, as you said, you may end up back in the same place. No, this is really what I believe. Mm-hmm. But then right. you know, but, right? But then you know. And you part know. of understanding your core values and working through with critical thinking skills, what your assumptions and your beliefs and your conditioning are, I, I describe those as like an iceberg. Your assumptions are way at the top and um, and then your beliefs are down below and then the conditioning is what makes up everything else. But part of the beauty of that is giving you the confidence, the quiet confidence to be able to just stand and not have to defend your position and not have to fight with someone else about it. Some people like conflict. I don't personally. And so, but if there's a way that I can find to be able to stand in my position and be able to calmly say, this is what I think in that area and not feel the need to defend my position, I, I that's a good day for me. That sounds like a really good place to be. To it be, feels peaceful. Yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. Yeah. Andrea, how do people find you? I mean, tell us a little bit about your website and a little bit about the podcast. Okay. Um, I'll start with the website. It's theintentionaloptimist.com. The name came from that process that I went through after my mother died. And I kind of said, what do I stand for? I knew what my, you know, I knew my mother was this powerful force in, in her life and people were affected when we had at her memorial service, I think we had 300, 300 people. And, um, mm. so I, I knew that I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to figure out how I wanted to explain that. And that's how I came up with intentional optimism because I just dumped it all on paper and then started categorizing things. And what do I want to stand for? And so when I said, well, I'm going to do a a business, I said, I'm just going to call myself the intentional optimist. And you wouldn't believe how many people that will get a conversation started with. And it has been lovely. So that is my, that is my website. You can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube all under the intentional optimist. My website will give you a little bit of about, it'll give you some of my services. Again, I do team services, either virtual or in person for communication and collaboration and figuring out how to change the culture in your team. I do one-on-one coaching and I do lots of workshops and speaking. So if you need someone to come in and do something virtually or in person, I'm happy to fly somewhere. I love to travel. Like I said, I grew up overseas. Um uh-huh. My podcast is an outgrowth of that. I, I shared that I, I did three years of, of the podcast where it was 
hybrid style of interviewing and, and teaching. And it was called Intentional Optimists, Unconventional Leaders. But you won't find it anywhere now because it's called Stand Tall and Own It. I decided to rebrand and take all of the information and all of the things I had learned and the wisdom I had garnered for the last three years and all those lovely stories from all those women and they're all there, but it's called Stand Tall and Own It because I wanted to say, you know what? It's time for me to say who I am, what I believe, and to stand tall and own that as well. So it's very easy to find on any of the platforms. And um, I invite you to, to join me and give me some feedback and let me know how I can better help you with some of the information that I share. Well, so I love this idea of what you say, you're five one and you're just standing tall. <laughs> well, the other analogy I use- the other analogy I use, Bella, is a tree. Um, I'm, like I said, a missionary kid and a pastor's wife. And in Psalm 1, it talks about a tree planted by water. And it's it stands tall and it bears its fruit when it's supposed to because it's watered well. You know, I mean, so, so much of understanding who we are gives us a really strong taproot to have a really deep taproot for our tree, which allows us to grow tall. And then we, as we spread out, as we're watered and we care for ourselves, then we build a better canopy because you've seen these lovely pictures of what's below the surface of a tree is also above mm -hmm. the surface of a tree. Right. It's the and same size, right? It's the it's same the size. Right. the same size of a canopy. Yes. And so it's, it's that important to do that work for us and to be able to say, I'm going to stand tall and be this sentinel, even though even though I'm a little girl, um, because it's important for other women to hear these things. And if it was important for me to hear it, then it's important for at least one other person to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love what you said. The idea that, that, you know, be planted by water, grow that taproot. It's you are worth doing mm. the work, doing the work, getting, getting the nourishment that, um, so that you can do that standing tall. Because I think that we, you know, we're asked even in modern society, we're asked a lot to mm. um, to provide that canopy without without much, much support are. for growing roots. And, you know, you and I talked as well about that intersection between where women want to be leaders, but we're conditioned in, in our society to, to be helpers. And it's like, that's exactly what we talked about. We're mm -hmm. asked to provide the ca canopy without providing the roots. So the more we develop ourselves as leaders, the more capable, capable we are of providing what everybody else around us needs, whether you're a helper or not, whether you're a mom or not, whether you're a leader or not, or you think you're a leader, you're leading yourself every single day. So don't don't sell yourself short on leadership. Well, thank you, Andrea. I have one more question for you. And that mm -hmm. is, what is your one piece of advice for young persons starting out? No matter what age you are, I think this is very, very important. And it's something I had to learn the hard way. And that is, please trust yourself because you know what your core values are, even though you haven't named them. You know what's important to you. Most of us, pretty much know what's right or wrong. Even in the coaching situation, we know how to ask those questions. So just trust yourself that, because if I had got, been able to go back to 15-year-old Andrea and say, hey, I know it looks weird and I know it's going to sound strange, but you've just got to trust yourself, then I think I could have maybe made some of these changes earlier. But here I am ready to reach back to the next person and say, trust yourself. It's okay. You got this. You were created well and for a purpose. Let's let's help you do that. I love that advice. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea Jensen, for joining me at the Edges of Lean. Thank you. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Andrea Jensen for being my guest at the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? 
What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. You can find Andrea at theintentionaloptimist.com backslash values or on LinkedIn and check out her podcast, Stand Tall and Own It. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com where you'll find lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from podcasting. This is a Lean for Humans production.